Welcome back everybody, this is Eric here with Iraq Veteran 8888. Today I've got another gun gripe episode for you, and I've got a special guest with me today. This is Othias uh, with CN Arsenal, Howdy. and he's got a wonderful channel, does tons of really nice uh, documentary style, in-depth looks at various uh, historical guns, and we thought it'd be fun to have him in on a gun gripe today, because this is a gripe that a lot of folks have really gotten on to us a little bit about, and they've blamed people like us. I don't know if they've really pointed the finger and blamed us directly, per se, but the fact that all of these internet personalities, YouTubers, bloggers, writers, the internet at large, and folks uh, like us on the internet at large, are responsible for price increases in collectible uh, guns of various types. And uh, so wh where do you think that that um, that type of thought process gets uh, exasperated so much. I mean, well, how okay, does that so get thrown out? Here's there? what it is. Everybody remembers that well, we have the K31 here. So everybody thinks yeah. back and you're like, oh, those were coming in a few years ago at 250 a pop. I could get them all day long. Sure. And then there is an argument for the fact that they're still being imported in larger numbers and there wasn't as much demand or whatever. And then they say, okay, so maybe imports are trickling off and that's driven up the price. But at the same time, if you would stop talking about them so much and sort of glorifying right. them, then the price would also stay suppressed. The problem with that line of thinking is that means that the suppression of price is inherently going to mean that there's fewer people enjoying them. Like, that's, that's the problem. It's like, you know, the only reason to lower the price is demand is down, people are not buying them, people are not valuing them. And then as somebody that's in a historical firearms context, I actually get worried when the price of a gun gets too low. Like when we saw when uh, the M9130s were coming in, they were very cheap, oh, $100 yeah. guns, Super right? cheap. <clears throat> so the problem with that is, you fall behind below a certain price point, and then people sort of go, oh, Mosins aren't worth anything, I will just start hacking away. Which, for a 9130 that had been refurbished, one of millions. That's not a big deal. Like, right. we've got millions to go before they become rare or valuable in a historical context. Uh, I hate saying that because I do sort of tend to be on the more preservation side, originalist side. But sure. the reality is... They're all refurbed in the 50s. They're all exactly the same almost. There's not a lot of detail you lose a little, but not as much as you gain in terms of people being engaged in firearms activities. I agree. <clears throat> the problem is, I've seen many sporterized Mosins from that same period that were rare or one-offs or whatever, but because it was a Mosin, and it was confused for a recently imported refurbished 9130, yeah. it just got sucked in this cycle of, well, it's a Mosin, sure. it's a garbage rod, it's not worth anything. And so now you have rare pieces that have been modified. I mean, things like 1907 carbines and yeah. you know one-offs for different countries or individual markings that really actually matter. Things that you could have some observable value in sure. the historical context. So the game for me is, I actually don't like it when a gun's value falls too low. Because when it falls too low below what you can get commercially at the gun store, then it becomes bait for modification and, you know. I would say not only bait for modification, but there's almost a sort of reverse psychology effect that people even have on themselves where, okay, let's just say that, let's pretend that, that you walk into a gun shop and Remington 700s are $100. Well, someone would all of a sudden go, well, wait a minute, that rifle's 100 bucks. It has to be a piece of crap. We end up psyching ourselves out to think, okay, well, if it's not expensive, then obviously it's not good. Uh, a K31 cost about 42 Swiss francs to make back in the day. And 42 Swiss francs back in the 40s, probably a pretty good little chunk of money. But when you compare, you know, 1942, uh, 42 Swiss francs to today's dollars and the craftsmanship and worksmanship and uh, not only that, but the excellent materials that went into the manufacture of these guns, we're not even close to even getting get near what these guns are actually really truly worth if you compare them 
uh, to the old guns now, or to the old days, the original days that they were made. I mean, I don't remember who exactly it was, but I want to say some university at some point did a study on a lot of these vintage rifles. And one study that they had conducted on the K31 was that if a, a new manufacturer today made this gun to the exact specs of the original and to the exact same workmanship and quality, that they would have to sell this gun for probably well over $3,000. Probably more than that. Okay, think about modern Mausers. Okay, Mauser's still in business. Mauser still makes rifles. Mauser makes some beautiful looking stuff. Look at Mauser, look at Blosser. Like the M93s. Now, M92 or M93, M93 Blazer. Those guns, you know, the straight pull modern Blazer rifles, those things are beautifully made rifles. When you look at the, the, the really fine fitting of the wood stocks, you look at modern Mauser stuff that's being put out, I mean, they are putting out some gorgeous looking guns. Yes, they're expensive. So, in my mind, I think where people get confused is they think because it's cheap, that it's not valuable and and there's a difference between like the value of what something actually is you know what you're actually looking at versus what it costs but then also try replacing it i mean i look at it from a standpoint of replacement costs now getting back to the gripe at hand when people start accusing folks like us of driving up the market i think it's a little unfair to accuse folks of that and i'll, and I'll state the purpose why uh, you know from my perspective I feel like a lot of these older guns, to some degree, almost need kind of an ambassador, right? You know, you didn't know about a lot of these quirky, old, weird things until you started reading books, researching, talking to other enthusiasts that love this stuff. And when you meet other enthusiasts, what do you want to do? You want to share your passion for that particular type of thing with other people. So in our, in our minds, it's not that we've tried to drive the market. No, we haven't. We just want other people to enjoy these cool old guns, and it's very selfish. It would be selfish of a guy like me to have a reach that I do and not go, hey, hey, young guy, uh, this is a really cool rifle. If you can get your hands on one, buy one because they're a ton of fun. And nothing makes me happier than to be at a show or if I'm at NRA or SHOT Show or anywhere and have some young kid walk up to me who's 18 or 19 years old and say, hey, I've been watching you since I was 13 and I just bought my first M39 or K31. That makes me so happy because I know that that gun is going to give them a lifetime of happiness if they take care of it. That is what it's all about. So I think people tend to, to think about it the wrong way. I mean, yes, there's a value that is affected by the fact that these guns are more kind of out there and more people know about them, but it's selfish to guard that information. Right. It's also, it's two ways. So when we talk about the K31s or uh, finished Mosins or something like that, sure. there's enough of them out there. They're, they're uncommon. They're not the most, you know, they're not the everyday gun. Well, maybe the K31, there's a lot of those. But sure. uh, those are baseline guns. They're not a specific sub-variant or something. You know, there's this holy grails where people are like, oh, this, they only made 500 of these and it was for this guard and blah, blah, blah. Right. Those guns, people also get irritated. So if you tell somebody, you know, about a Luxembourg Mauser or something, they start shaking their fists because what they're hoping for is that they will find one in the wild that is misidentified. And then that way, they can have a dishonest transaction with someone yeah. and get it for under its value. Now that's fair because it's not entirely, if the other person didn't do their homework and they don't put the, they don't properly value something and you get it for cheaper, I think that's fair by the way because they didn't want to put in the effort. Sure. Well, there's a material cost to lack of effort. That's fine. Sure. Well, granted shows like ours make that effort a little easier. Like now they have to, instead of having to buy a book and read and understand, their investment is subscribe to a channel, watch, 
And then that way, they can start identifying things. And I get lots of emails all the time now. It's like, I wouldn't have known this was sitting in the shop for four years. I looked past it. Then you talked about it. And I went, oh, my, this is very rare. Yep. And then they tucked it away. Well, there's two things. One, yes, somebody lost out on the ability, like a, a collector, one of a dozen. In the, the internet industry. makes everybody an expert, basically. Well, right. Well, you go, <laughs> you go from a dozen people who might have recognized it down up to like 500, right? Right. And then, yes, that guy lost out on his chance to get one more for his big collection. Right. The other thing, though, is... You've also lost the opportunity for that gun to be messed with or improperly stored or improperly treated for another 20 years. So it's hard to say whether we're making more of a mess for individual collectors or if we're actually making it so that more of these guns actually exist for a little while longer. It's a balancing act. And then the other thing is, the unavoidable thing is information disseminates. And we're in the information age. People start telling other people. Right. This process would have happened much slower. Like much slower. But now we have a one-to-many approach. We have ch big channels that are able to push out data. Sure. Uh, something like my channel five years ago, nobody would have subscribed to it because uh, you wouldn't have the baseline love that comes from a channel like this, which is much more of a culture channel. It's much more of a lifestyle channel. And then what we do is, um, I mean, our stuff is so finely detailed. I mean, it's just OCD where it's like, yeah. this is this, this is that. You can't have that second tier until you have that body of appreciation below. I agree. I think that there, there's a place on the internet for people like Ian and people like you. You guys fill a very specific niche that we've never even attempted to fill. You know, the way that we approach these vintage pieces, we like to go out and we like to shoot them. We like to have fun. We like to look at them from the perspective of what the soldiers used them for, how, what the soldiers went through. You know, hey, how, how would a Swiss soldier get behind this gun at 600 yards and get on target? You know, we like to share the experience of shooting these old guns and having fun with them and seeing what kind of accuracy we can wring out of them. And yeah, obviously showing the performance is a big part portion of what we do, but also explaining a bit of the history. Now, we don't go into every little nut and bolt in detail, but things like YouTube and things like uh, Full 30, things, you know, just basically internet in general has made that dissemination of information so much more readily available that you got guys like Othias, you got guys like Ian, you got guys like us, and there's a little bit of perspective all along the way. If you want to know every little thing about a certain family of guns or a specific gun, go check out one of his, his documentaries or go check out one of Ian's videos. Or if you just want to see, hey, I always wondered if a Kamalotter uh, could actually shoot out to, you know, 600 yards. Well, we might try that, okay? I mean, we've got a Kamalotter here we were just talking about. So we've got a lot of vintage old pieces that, you know, we'd like to go and check out and shoot for you guys. And, um, you know, it, it, it is... It is a passion. You know, you have to love what you're doing. And we've always wanted to appreciate the vintage pieces just as much as the modern ones. I mean, we showcase a lot of modern guns on our channel as well. Our channel, we've always tried to show a little bit of everything because, in my opinion, if you're a gun guy, you're a gun guy. To be a well-rounded gun person, you have to like the modern stuff, vintage pieces, black powder. You have to understand like that whole transitional period between smokeless and black and all the cool, quirky technology that went on in that time. And the, the kind of arms race that went around the world. I mean, when the Mauser rifle, when the 98 came out, it was like it just created this, this arms race. And it's just such a cool family of guns that surround that late, you know, 1800s era that... It's just such a neat body of research, and the fact that you can own these cool old guns and play with them, it's just so fun. Yeah. You it's, know? it's a whole lifestyle. Um, it I is. Mean, our show does not actually, our show is so narrowly focused that we don't get to do the lifestyle pieces. I'm kind of glad, because what we're finding more and more is there's no zero-sum game in this. So, like, people, who, like, whenever we work together, whenever people want to hear the same story from multiple perspectives. They sure. do. They like hearing a little bit extra, a little bit different every time. 
Um, and then when it comes to collecting, it's kind of like the same thing. I understand if you missed out on a rare piece because somebody else knew that it existed and it might be my fault. I, I'm sorry that I went That's that what way. we're acknowledging, but, I believe. But to be fair, I mean, I lose out. So I have a show on World War One, and I've actually run ourselves pretty lean so that we could get the show done, and all of our budget's going to show, so I have no collecting money. I can't, I don't get to buy for myself. Sure. So I do episodes with things I borrowed from people for guns that I would have wanted to own for years, and now I've just told thousands of people, yeah. and guess cool what? I priced myself out of the market. So right. at some level, if you want to get mad at me for I'm suffering the same problem, but I'm I'm willing to give the information. I think it deserves to be out there. I think they deserve to be honored. And if I can't personally have it, well, that's on me. I just gonna have to work. I'm gonna have to find more money. I'm gonna have to try. It's a cultural and historical preservation of information that I believe you know, folks like Ian, folks like Othias, folks like me, I would like to think, are trying our best to to preserve that culture and preserve that history and that information. So. Uh, that's a question and a gripe that you guys have given us many, many times, and I've, I thought it would be very appropriate for Athias to uh, make this gripe with me and for us to discuss it a bit. So, you know, the next time you see that weird, quirky old gun and you know what it is and you know what it's worth and you know that you should get it, maybe just think, you know, hey, it's kind of cool that there's folks out here that allow me to, to know a little bit about this. So, you know, guys, we all had to find the information somehow. You know, I was, a, I was a gun nerd early on. I was a bookworm. You know, I, I took in any amount of information and knowledge that I possibly could, and I learned about a lot of these old school guns just from various relatives and researching them, and I was lucky to have that uh, in my life as a young man and having folks, uh, you know, positive male role models around me that loved old guns and that shared a lot of this cool old history with me. Uh, and I guess that's kind of all I'm really trying to do is just pass along what I've been given. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is a passing along of the torch, torch, you know, that newer generations have to embrace the older stuff or it's just going to it's going to die. It, you know, the culture and the history that goes along with these old pieces will go go away and die along with the people that own them. If the newer the newer generation doesn't embrace uh, how cool these old pieces are. So I think that's really the main reason that we, we like to put that out there so that people see you know just why we're passionate about it and why we enjoy it. And I thought this would be an interesting video to have him involved in because he is very much uh, grounded in the historical aspect of these old guns. Um, and when you support guys like him on Patreon, you know, we're, we're a Patreon supporter for CN Arsenal, and I encourage you guys to be as well. Look, if you want to support us on Patreon, that's great. But definitely, if you've got a content creator that you love their content and you consume it and you enjoy it and you learn things from it. It doesn't matter if it's Ian or Tim over at Military Arms Channel or this guy or me or, or Suits or any of them. If you consume their content and you enjoy it, consider buying one of their t-shirts or supporting them on Patreon or, or some type of financial support to help them out and allow them to preserve history and keep things going. Uh, that's the way I look at it. You know, Cap and Ball TV, oh, okay. uh, I, I support I love, him. I He's it. a great guy. And, you know. What um, I've noticed is, I don't know about you guys, if I have regular viewers, like I have subscribers, but I have regular viewers. If every regular viewer, the way I was at tune in for every video, if each one of them gave $1 a month, $1, sure. I'd be set. I mean, I'd be that. <laughs> That'd be all I would need to get my mission done yeah. and everything. So if it's worth a dollar a month, so 50 cents an episode for us because we do twice a month because we have big episodes. Oh, I know. And it's even less for you guys, I'm sure, because you crank through a bunch. Yeah, we do. And so, I mean, it's, if you think about the cost versus cable and how many things you actually really watched on it. Um, We're paying $15 think, for a, a movie ticket yeah, made by a bunch of anti-gun actors. So <laughs> if, if you like the content you want to see more of the content, maybe a dollar. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then the other, request. the other thing is, by the way, while we're talking about this sort of thing, sure. um, the, if you like 
the rare guns, the odd guns, or the little bits of information. Uh, Ian and I had a thing a while back where we were talking about an air service rifle, and we both disagreed for a moment, but what happened was, I had a man that was working in the National Archives who had just found for the first time paperwork that described this gun. And so because of the library sciences and the digitization of information all across the world, we're learning things that are true about these guns now that we never knew five years ago. So if you care about these rare little exotics and you think these guys are giving away all the secrets, there's secrets to be discovered. So if you care, I encourage people to get involved. Go dig, share information. Every creator I know, Ian, Cap and Ball, uh, British muzzleloaders. Yeah. Uh, I just actually. I love was, Cap and Ball's channel. You know, bloke on the range. Chap and I are yeah. working on something together right now. He's e over in Switzerland. Yeah. Right? Every one of us are communicating with each other because we want the truth. And the truth changes as paperwork comes out, as files show up. Sure. And so we might have to talk about this another time, but a lot of stuff that gets handed down without this sort of peer review process is what we would term FUD lore. And so maybe we should have a talk about that someday. But if so. you want to care about these old guns, don't just pick up a book, but there's digital resources online. Go dig through the libraries, look through photos, look through anything. Yep. You can just do it as a hobby, and you can find out all sorts of things that we might never know because we just need the man time to look at it's it. It's gun archaeology. Yeah, it is. Archaeology. All right, anyway. Well, uh, guys, thanks for watching today's video. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope that we shed some light on that gripe. I know some people have given us a little bit of heck about that here and there, but... Um, it's ultimately to help you guys as a whole, the internet community as a whole, anybody who's willing to listen. Uh, we, we really feel that it's important to preserve historical artifacts, which at this point, in my opinion, they're artifacts. I mean, yeah, there might be a lot of them, but there's going to come a time when there's not as many of them or they're in collections. So I feel that it's important to archive these things. I mean, that's why I like having videos in my archive of us shooting these old guns. I mean, how do I know that you know, all of these guns are going to stay functional forever. I mean, it's just neat from my perspective to be able to have some form of documentary that I can look back on 30 years from now and go, there I was 30 years ago shooting this gun. Yeah, it's nice. And it's, that's cool. That's a photo album. I right? love sharing that with people. And it's weird because that's really how this channel started. We started just recording things that we happened to already be doing and just sort of having it as a memory bank where we could go back and just look at things that we did at the range and documenting it. So really... Our channel has always just been documenting things that we happen to already be doing, and we sort of just took it to the next level a little bit. But for the most part, it's the same concept, just with more people watching. So, guys, thank you so much for watching today's video. Athias, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, we're going to definitely be cutting some more videos while he's down. Uh, we just had a great day uh, at the machine gun range yesterday, having some fun with some nice vintage pieces, uh, which ran... Pretty good for the uh, most part. It's a mixed bag when you get into guns 100 years old that were timed to their ammo, I tell you. That's right. So, uh, you know, we've got a lot of content on the way. Thank you so much for your support. Those of you that support us on Patreon, those of you that purchase man cans, t-shirts, uh, for any channel that you love. Look, not just me. Anybody you support on Patreon that you follow their content, I don't care if they're a gun channel or not, uh, you mean the world to those people, and I, I thank you for supporting all of them. Uh, fan support is going to be, I believe, the future of how people consume content. So Certainly keep that in, our, in mind. In our field, yeah. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. So guys, enjoy your day. Have a good one. Thanks for watching. Much more on the way. We'll see you next time.